and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show with five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Yeah. Good count. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to this Friday, January 20th, 2023 edition of Tim and Friends, a special edition because today we bring back uh, everyone's favorite iPad soundboard masher, <laughs> co-host of the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. You can hit something. If you want. I wasn't prepared. No, okay. You. There you go. <laughs> also, in arena host for the Toronto Maple Leafs, please welcome Ailish Forfar. Thank you, everybody. I'm glad I got the invite back. I was worried. It's been a couple months. You're, oh, well. Thought you guys didn't like me anymore. I don't make the decisions right here, so <laughs> that's just the way it goes. Uh, listen, I said in arena host uh, last because it naturally goes into our first topic, which is um, this photo of you last night with a plethora oh, yeah. of Toronto Blue mm. Jays players. So t talk to me about this because this was blowing up the socials last night. I saw it yeah. and, and I knew it was going to do numbers. Good, so eh? Yeah, well... Yeah, Kevin Kiermaier is an absolute stud, I'll tell you that. No Look at that. It's like it. Inception, selfie Inception. You know that app, Be Real? Basically, that's what that was. So, yep, that last night, Blue Jays in attendance. They got the blue carpet welcome. As mm. soon as I saw that they're there, I'm like, I'm going up. I got to meet these guys. I got to ask Vladdy about his contract. <laughs> I got to say, Kevin Kiermaier, welcome to Did the city. Did he give you an answer? Did Vladdy tell you? No, he said that. He's signing, yeah. He said, no, not on the, not on the books. Can't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> no reporting here. But they were great. They were so excited to be there. The vibes are awesome. They were wearing their jerseys. Mm. Like, so I had to get a pick for the gram. Pretty cool perk yeah, of the job, I would cool. say. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you had a chance to talk to, to Vladdy last night as part of uh, that situation, but he was playing to the crowd of kids this afternoon on the Jays' winter tour. Have a listen to this. What team did you was the easiest was the easiest to play this year? Ooh. <laughs> which team? Which team was the easiest to play against? Oh boy. Hmm. Oh, Vladdy wants to answer that? Okay. Who did you like playing against? The Yankees. The Yankees! <laughs> I love that. Did you tell him how to, how to play to the crowd? I said, tomorrow, say this. That's <laughs> brilliant. It's brilliant. No, he killed it. Yeah. Uh, they're so fun. You know, Espinal was so vibesy, too. Like, he mm -hmm. was just like pumped up, like, give me the mic. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I can give you the mic. That, that's very interesting. Good vibes. Because you, you, you do wonder with some of the moves that they made if the vibes are going to be the same as they were. Because pe people love the, the Jays' vibes. Mm -hmm. But evidently, they based were on there your last reaction, night at the Toronto it's going to be all right. Sleep. We're going to be okay. <laughs> uh, all right, jam packed show for you today. Nate Burleson on the divisional round in the NFL. Jason Priestley and Michael Geddes on their new documentary, Offside, the Harold Ballard story, and Ron McLean and Ken Reed from Owen Sound ahead of Hockey Day in Canada, which should be a great time. But before all that, we start the show how we always do, with first things first. So it's time to set a high bar with Ailish Forfar. <laughs> Pretty good if I do say so myself. A big victory. What, you, don't, you don't think it was, you were like fine with the I'm, rhyme? You're I'm just not like, going to give you free... Okay. All right, fine. fine. No, I'll it. just move on. Now, a big win for the Toronto Maple Leafs last night that you saw in person. 4-1 over the Winnipeg Jets. Austin Matthews scored twice and now has four goals in three games since returning from his two-game break. He hasn't quite put up the numbers we've come to expect from him this season. But, Ailish, are you expecting a big second half from Austin Matthews? 
I mean, certainly with the way that he responded to taking some time off last week and whether it was for injury, whether it wasn't, just some load management, it certainly paid off. That was mm -hmm. the Austin Matthews MVP that we were looking for so far throughout the start of the season. The way he scored that one goal, like dominating the play. I mean, people are like, oh, he's having a bit of a down year. But if he can turn on the Jets and score a goal like that or two, um, like we're seeing it right here, like that's that's the Austin Matthews you want to see. And if it means that he plays a little bit less until the, the season actually matters, then I'm good. <laughs> okay, so that leads me naturally to my next question. Mm -hmm. um, the, the topic of load management in the National Hockey League has sort of been a hot-button issue the last little while because some people were speculating that this was a load man management situation with Matthews specifically, and he's looked really good since coming back. So are you okay if the Leafs or other teams around the league elect to s sit their star players with, I don't know if they have nagging injuries or something minor, if they can come back and be rested and look like this. Yeah, I think that the NHL could take a little bit of a lesson from the NBA. I know it sucks sometimes. Dangerous game, though. It, it is. There's mm -hmm. a fine line. Yeah. You know, I, I think if... It was like a couple weeks ago, LeBron James didn't play in Toronto. Steph Curry didn't play in Toronto. And if you're a fan, that sucks. But if it's going to elevate your stars to the level that they can be and should be for the playoffs, that's what's most important. As a, Talking about the Leafs every day, we always say, well, nothing really matters right now in the regular season until they win a playoff game. So if it's Matthews taking a couple nights off, Johnny T and you know, Jordano's literally the oldest man to ever play in the <laughs> NHL, like, give them a couple breaks and, okay, and they're going to be able to elevate. So Bing bong. Exactly. I'm good with it. Like, just don't, uh, don't say out 10 in a row. That was the wrong button. I don't know why I pushed that one. Yeah, leave the iPad to me. I will, yeah. I'll leave it to you. <laughs> um, he, Matthews was ridiculous last mm -hmm. night. Uh, there's no question about it. And you look at the pace that he's on, I think 44 goals and 93 points. Like, do we think he got this? This is about this time of the year where he got real hot last year. Like, real, real hot. I wonder if 50 is not out of the cards. 45, like if he just goes on one of his classic vintage Austin Matthews heaters, like I don't see a scenario where he finishes with less than 50 because that is definitely in the realm of possibility here. The only thing I'd push back on that is that he's not playing for personal accolades this season. Mm -hmm. Last year mm -hmm. it was the chase for 60. It was the Hart Trophy. And I think that's actually allowed him to maybe take this little break that he did with load management because it's about the team now. Marner had his streak. The team is just looking to, to cruise into the playoffs basically. So I, I see that it could be a possibility. At the same time, I don't think he cares. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's just like he, he's all-star. He just got voted to the all-star game. He's got his personal accolades. Whatever's going to make him better at the playoffs, I think that's the route he's going to yeah. go. It's like if I score two goals and they're beautiful and we win. That's <laughs> that all I happens. really care about, right? Um, Ily Samsonov last night. Mm. Uh, I, Sean McKenzie was on the show yesterday and asked him if there's even a minor goaltending controversy brewing and his answer was great. He said, I don't think it's a controversy really when you know, at least one of them is going well. And at the moment that appears to be Samsonov. Are you... Do you have hope in the Leafs goaltending with the fact that we haven't really seen them both be poor together at the same time so far this season? What do you think about one on the road and one at home in the playoffs? Well, Samsonov doesn't <laughs> lose <laughs> yeah, at home. Exactly. No, I'm not I'm not too worried. I honestly think it's time to to give Samsonov a little bit of a stretch here. He's earned it. I think that Matt Murray was putting a little bit more of advantageous opportunities lately and, and obviously didn't elevate to the level we want. So Samsonov, he's a guy that's talked openly about confidence, and mm -hmm. I think this is a great opportunity to put some games like he did last time. He plays the, the Montreal Canadiens Hockey Night in Canada tomorrow night. Like that's a big position to be in. And if he can string together some wins. I don't know. It doesn't have to be Matt Murray. It can be Ilya Samsonov. No, like that first period was ridiculous. The the Leafs got outplayed, and Samsonov was the difference. That game could have looked a lot different if Ilya Samsonov doesn't play that way in the first period, yeah. for sure. So they got a good goaltending situation. Things are looking good in Leafland, as you saw in person. Yeah.
last night. And you know what's been helpful with Edmonton Oilers is their goaltending is starting to oh, come Jack together Campbell. a little bit. Yep. Great game in Edmonton last night. Uh, Oilers extending their win streak to five games with a thrilling 5-3 win over the Lightning. Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl have scored. McDavid now up to 39 on the year. It's been a bit of an up and down season for the Oilers. I think they're on the up now. Do you think they've fully turned the corner? Well, I think it's it's just hilarious in this league where sometimes we lose sight of how important goaltending is and how important goaltending confidence is. And at the end of the day, I think, honestly, you, if you were to put a percentage on it, you could say 80% or almost even 90% of the game comes down to goaltending because if you're not getting goaltending at the NHL level, it's going to be very difficult for you to win. Stuart Skinner obviously named to the All-Star team yesterday, which is an amazing honor for him, but suddenly you have two goaltenders playing well at Edmonton, and that changes everything. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing that I think changes everything, Evander Kane coming back, because if you look at the numbers since Evander Kane has come uh, over to Edmonton, this is from last season included, 28-11-4 with Kane, 21-16-2 without him. So a very significant difference, and I would argue that between the coaching change they made with Jake Woodcroft last year and Evander Kane coming, there is something different about this team when Kane is in the lineup. And whether that's directly him making an impact, or we've heard sort of the thought that the Oilers are a soft hockey team being thrown around so far this season. And look what happened last night. You had two fights. You had Darnell Nurse dropping the gloves. Clem Costa drops the gloves. And I don't know if that's a direct result of Evander Kane, but it certainly seems like when he's in the lineup, things go a little bit better. They seem like a tougher team to play against. And obviously, when you have the best player in the world as well, that doesn't hurt either. He gets uh, slew-footed by Pat Maroon and McDavid assists on a goal by Drysdale 12 seconds later. So everything's going well for the Edmonton Oilers right now. And I think anytime you have talent like this and you now have more of a physical presence, I think they're going to be a very difficult out if they can make the, the, the postseason, which they're in position to do so right now. So Okay, so up. vibes are good. Ish in Edmonton, but... Better than ish. They're, the vibes are good. God, vibes are just terrible yeah. around the Toronto Raptors. Oh, I'm sorry I got to be the bearer of bad news here, but it was just rough, especially last night. This this season just continues to spiral down. I think it's time to fully admit that. Raptors scored 76 points in the first half, led by as many as 14 points in the fourth quarter, but nope, not good enough. They collapsed down the stretch, losing 128-126 to a T-Wolves team playing on the second of a back-to-back, -back, missing two of their three best players. It's just kind of an unacceptable way to lose. Is this rock bottom. For the Raptors. I'm going to play a clip for you from the pregame shoot around, and I want you to tell me if you think this had anything to do with the way the Raptors finished the game last night in yet another loss. Here is Pascal Siakam and Chris Boucher from shoot around yesterday. And what's the main emphasis going into the T Wolves tonight? Um, get a win. Yeah. Short and sweet. Where is the biggest emphasis going into this one? Um. I don't know. Maybe uh, more effort, I'd say. Well, that's that's uh, a pretty indicative, I think, of what that locker room would be like right now. Think about it. There's players that play in the league openly talking about how players are not enjoying their time on the Raptors and that mm -hmm. they're probably going to get traded mm -hmm. by C.J. McCollum. Mm -hmm. Then you know that Nick Nurse has been a little bit touchy with the media as of late, saying, I don't want questions about effort. Well, when you combine all those things and the fact that you're losing games that are within reach, I think that it's it's no mystery that the Raptors are down bad and the vibes must be really poor in that locker room. I think last night was the beginning of the end 
frankly. And I think we have on the show been pretty supportive of the Raptors and the talent that they have and I think their potential ability to turn things around. But when you lose to a team without their best player in Carl Anthony Towns, a team that's coming off a back-to-back in Denver at altitude, no less, and the Raptors coming off a loss to the Milwaukee Bucks without Giannis Antetokounmpo, without Chris Middleton, you have to win that basketball game if you have any chance of competing for not only a, a playoff spot but or a play-in spot, but just the respect of your opponents. Because you know what the vibe is. You mentioned the vibe around the league. Everyone looks at the Raptors and all, none of them are happy. Mm-hmm. They're a team that is constantly, consistently underachieving. And they had a chance. They had the T-Wolves on the ropes last night, and they couldn't finish them off. They led the whole game until the fourth quarter. And then they just forgot how to play basketball near the end. But you know it wasn't all bad because Scotty Barnes is back. Yeah, Scotty Barnes is back. Hey, if there's anything (laughs) I care about this season is Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes, Scotty Barnes. If we're going to pick one thing that we should cheer for, Scotty Barnes would be great and everyone else elevating their trade value maybe. We've seen that with Fred and with Gary and like, okay, that's uh, about where we're we're pulling that pause right now. It's just so disappointing because this team, right around this time last year, they, they started to get hot and they showed you what they can do. And we have said they have the talent on this team, but something is not right. Something is not right on this team when it's the offense that's struggling. You know, the offense struggles one they, night. The nice defense struggles. It would be nice to see some defense the, once. <laughs> they, the T-Wolves without their best player scoring 128 points. Yeah. You're not going to win a lot of games when that's the case. That is just a fact. Hey, so, but they're closer to yeah. the sweepstakes. Yes, like I, I, I get that, and I understand that a lot of fans uh, are in the camp that the Raptors should tank. Mm-hmm. I totally get that. I would counter with they're not that close to the bottom three at the moment. They're going to have to lose a lot more. But I think what losses like last night tell me, it's that they are forcing Masai Ujiri's hand and he is going to have to start making moves because this team is showing the front office that even when they play well, they're not going to be capable of competing for what what he ultimately wants, and that's an NBA championship. Well, we only have to wait till February 9th. Yeah. to see and I just like, wish they could move the trade deadline up a little closer because Frustrating. it's getting tough. Imagine talking about this every day in the morning on the radio yeah, just it's... making everybody upset to start right, the lift day. lift the vibes back up. Let's get the vibes going. Australian Open. That's been fun. It's been up and down though for the Canadians last night in Melbourne. Denis Shapovalov was eliminated in a tough five set loss but our hero Felix Auger-Aliassime through to the round of 16. It's the third straight year. He's made it to the second week. I don't know. It's looking like he's in a in a good draw here to make it to the end. You think he's got a shot to win it all, Jesse? Oh, of course he does. There's uh, one player mm-hmm. uh, who is ranked higher than him on his side of the draw. And I, I just think when you look at what he has been able to accomplish so far in his career, he hasn't had the breakthrough moment that we as Canadian tennis fans have been expecting. And the draw is opening up a little bit for him. And I want to get your take on this because you see, you look mm-hmm. at the odds here. And Novak Djokovic at plus 115. He was minus money to start the tournament. And now he's had a hamstring issue that he's been dealing with. He's now plus money. And you look at the potential for Felix and other guys that you just saw on that board. I want to get your take on, on Novak Djokovic. Here are his comments about whether he's concerned about his injury at the Australian Open. I am worried. I mean, I cannot say that I'm not, um, and I have reason to be worried, but there's two choices, or leave it or keep going. So I'm going to keep going, and uh, I'm going to try to play and compete. 
with, uh, of course, a great player, Dimitrov, in a couple of days' time. Yeah, he's down. Like, yeah, he's injured. He's injured, right? <laughs> there was no, so, there's no good way to like sugarcoat that. No. But he did not instill confidence. <laughs> right. If you're watching that, to be like, oh, he's, he's gonna be fine. He's right. like, I'll do what I can do. Like, I gotta just play. Like, uh-uh. so even not interested even in if that. he stays in the tournament, he's obviously not a hundred percent. And I, I said that there's one player that's ranked higher than Felix on his side of the draw. That's Tsitsipas. So then you have Djokovic, who's compromised on the other side of the draw. Things are opening up for Felix, and I think there is a very good opportunity here for Felix to finally break through and win it. And I don't, I don't see a reason why he can't. And he finished the end he of the season the too. Last yeah. the end of the calendar season on a high note, helped Canadians win the Davis Cup. So like, yeah. he, I don't know if the momentum continues around the calendar year, but he's got some no, confidence. He, I mean, he had a least. slow start to this tournament, but yeah. he looks like he's coming around. He's definitely got a chance. All right, one more sleep. Until postseason football, the NFL divisional playoffs begin tomorrow with the Jags and the Chiefs, followed by the Giants and the Eagles. And then on Sunday, it's the Bengals and Bills and the Cowboys and Niners. Last year, this was the best week of the postseason. What's the most intriguing storyline heading into this weekend for you, Ailish? I mean, it's got to be Bills-Bengals, not only because I'm a fan of those Buffalo Bills, but mm-hmm. just because of everything that has transpired between these two teams on the off the field, DeMar Hamlin rumored to maybe be in attendance. That alone is going to be emotional, but it's how these two teams with their head-to-head quarterbacks who are obviously, you know, two of the, the most prolific this year, but they've shown some weaknesses. You know, I haven't seen Josh Allen, a confident Josh Allen, in a little while, and I've seen, you know, the Bengals have the, the O-line that's injured. So I think there's just a lot of factors that go into this. Emotions aside, this is going to be the game of the weekend to watch. I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see who prevails, and it's going to be a game of inches. If you're giving away red zone interceptions, you're not going to beat this team. Yeah, that's the thing, and we're going to ask Nate Burleson about this, but I, I am curious about Josh Allen and his ability to hang on to the football because that's, that's going to be it. Two interceptions against the Dolphins. And he has been prone to turning the ball over a lot. This and the Bengals will take Thompson advantage. On the other no, side. it's Joey sure. B, Joe Burrow. So uh, yes, I believe that game is going to be one of the games to watch uh, this weekend. But still to come here on Tim Friends, we've got a lot more planned for you. Ron McLean and Ken Reed join us from Owen Sound ahead of Hockey Day in Canada and the alumni and celebrity game, which they will play in tonight. Was I not yeah. invited? Yeah, I don't know. Neither was <laughs> I'll be joined in studio by Jason Priestley and Michael Geddes to discuss their excellent Harold Ballard documentary, which airs this weekend. I got a, a sneak peek. It was darn good. Ooh. Plus, uh, after the break, fr- Fridays with Nate continue as the great Nate Ferguson joins Alish and I next. You are watching Tim and Friends. It's Friday. Here comes Austin Matthews. Great move at the line. We're down to just eight teams vying for the Lombardi Trophy. They have been wanting to carve out a legacy of their own. This is their time. And for a third straight year, Felix Ajaliassim is through to the round of 16. You're fooled not to say that I don't know what's going on. I've got my wife phoning me saying, you're not on the ice. Is everything okay? (laughs) You come to work and uh, uh, you realize, you know, how great the game is. Welcome back to Tim and Friends. We're less than 24 hours away from kickoff in the NFL Divisional Round. Jags and Chiefs getting things going tomorrow, followed by an NFC East showdown between the Giants and the Eagles. 
And Sunday, it's going to be an emotional one between the Bengals and the Bills in Buffalo. And then Cowboys and Niners cap off the weekend. All right, time to welcome in one of the regulars on this show, one of the best football analysts around, former NFL receiver for 11 seasons. You see him on CBS Mornings. You see him on CBS NFL Today. And you come here to see him weekly. Please welcome back to Tim and Fred's Mr. Nate Burleson. Thank you for having me. What's going on? How's your Friday going? Uh, Friday's is here, baby. Honestly, Friday can't end soon enough because we got to get to some football. Like that's yeah, everyone really. looks forward to the divisional round, right? Like this is the weekend where where things really pop off. I think. Yeah, you're right. It, it kind of ramps up a little bit. Yeah. Last week was the appetizer. It was tasty, like, hmm. Um, but I'm ready for the entree. Save the dessert for February. But right now, let's get to the divisional round. Okay, so the first game I think we got to talk about. They're, they're, all of them, I think, are really good games. But Bills yeah. and Bengals, we know obviously what transpired on the January 2nd game. Expecting a wild environment here. And I, I'm just going over the notes for this game, and I'm – I'm thinking, like, is, is the main key for Buffalo that Josh Allen needs to take care of the football? Because obviously turn the ball over a lot during the regular season. Two more interceptions last week. Is that going to play a huge role going up against Joe Burrow and the Bengals? For sure. I mean, it's, it's the playoffs. So, you know, when you start making these mistakes, you play against teams that learn to take advantage of those mistakes. You know, Miami couldn't do that. Um, so they were they were able to kind of scrape out a victory. And it was it was tough sledding for the offense. I mean, luckily, you had a guy like Naeem Hines who, who can uh, kind of get you good field position. You know, and then you have the run game that shows up every once in a while for you. And then Josh Allen, just being Josh Allen, like he can create plays with, with his legs mm -hmm. when the offense isn't really moving the ball through the air. So this is a game where he has to take care of the rock. But more importantly, though, this game is going to come down to – the plays in between the conservative ones. What do I mean by that? I feel like there's going to be conservative play calling, and then there's a shot downfield versus one-on-one. -on -one. And this is, just isn't for the Bills looking for Stephon Diggs or Gabriel Davis. This is all for, also for the Bengals. I'm not saying the run game is non-existent. I'm not saying that they don't have creative play calling. But what changes the game, I'm talking about what changes the complexion of the game, are the moments where you see one-on-one -on -one coverage, and then boom, Stephon Diggs scores big or Boom, it's Jamar Chase for a touchdown. So that's what this game is going to come to. Mark my words. You're going to watch a one-on-one -on -one play between a wide receiver and a DB, and whoever makes that big play in the big moments, that's when the game is going to shift in favor of the team. Nate, how much do you think that the emotions obviously are going to play a significant part, but how does a player in this situation obviously in harness those emotions, but be able to shut them out as well because the atmosphere is going to be incredible. It's going to be emotional for both teams specifically because of what happened and when, what transpired. But how does an individual accept that, embrace it, but also be able to shut it out and play in you know, the biggest game of their season so far? You know, setting sports aside, just looking at these images right now, it still does something to you, huh? It still makes you feel a certain type of way. It still causes this reaction inside on a very human level where we feel like something terribly has gone wrong. Now imagine that times it by 100. That's what these players felt in that moment. Watch DeMar Hamlin on the field the weeks after that, even though football has gone on. And as we said on the show, the show must go on as in football must go on. But still, you have to go out there and you have to play physically free. And then you have to play mentally free. I think that's the most important thing. So, uh, of course, you're thinking about X's and O's, and if I can beat my man, and if we get this victory, we can move on to the conference championship. But you can't do any of that 
if you're held down or if there is a chain that is figuratively wrapped around your mind because you're caught up thinking about what happened a few weeks ago, I do believe that these teams have, have done exactly what they needed to do, which is offer some therapy for these guys and just say, hey, listen, if you want to unpack some things, you have someone to talk to. That way you can go out there and just play ball. It's still going to be hard. I mean, it's hard for people to watch after seeing something like that. Now, just imagine the guys putting on the shoulder pads. With the X's and O's as well, I know the Bengals have a pretty banged up O-line. I'm wondering if that's still going to be the case, if you have any more information if players might be playing or not. But if so, what needs to change for the Bengals to be able to overcome, you know, not having your best players in the lineup? Mm -hmm. Well, Joe Burrow is going to have to um, extend plays with his legs without putting himself in harm's way or forcing a bad ball downfield. Because what happens is when you have those gaps in your offensive line or certain weak points, as a quarterback who's as good as Joe Burrow, you oftentimes see these guys stretching these plays out like a session of Pilates class. But what happens is the defense knows you're stretching plays as well. So they will bait you into certain throws and then cut right underneath it. And all of a sudden, you're throwing a pick or there's a backside DN that's chasing you down. He gets to strip in the sack. And all of a sudden, there's a turnover. So he has to get the ball out sooner. I would say less about stretching the plays and using his legs and then and more about this offense, Zach Taylor calling plays that allows this team to get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands faster into the hands of the playmakers and allow them to do the work. That's exactly what they're doing in San Francisco with Brock Purdy. They're saying, Brock, we don't need you to hold the ball. We need you to get the ball to the playmakers. Get it to George Kittle. Get it to Debo Samuel. Get it to guys that can make plays when they have the ball. Well, that's a good segue. You mentioned Brock Purdy, and I don't know. Some people want to look at him and say, ah, he's a game manager. He doesn't have to do too much. Kyle Shanahan's <laughs> offense operates. That's an that's a argument that I've heard out there. But what can you say about a guy who, you know, we, we hear the term Mr. Irrelevant being thrown around all the time. And this guy continues to get it done. But is he going up against a defense that might be a little bit too much for him this early in his career? Well, haven't we said that every week was supposed to be too much for yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And, no, no, and here's the thing, bro. I feel you. I've been hearing the same thing. I've been getting the same questions. And I have to be honest, even me as a player, I'm like, wait, so like when does the glass slipper, when does when, when does it fall? Is it is it after midnight or just before? Like when does this happen? But as much as I'm trying to find out how this glass is half empty, the more I keep looking at it, I realize it's more than half full. I mean, it's damn near at the top. Mm -hmm. I mean, the cup spilleth over. I mean, this guy is playing so good within this offense. And credit to Kyle Shannon. You said it right. The offensive game plan. They're not doing too much. They're not giving him too much. They are putting the game plan in front of him that he can manage. And listen, what does game manager mean? If I give you a game plan and you manage it to the best of your ability, I don't care if you call me a game manager. That just means you did exactly what the game plan the game plan called you to do. So um, as long as he works inside out, I feel like this offense will still continue to do what they do best, which is working the interior of the field, looking at George Kittle and then Debo Samuel cutting inside. Then when they give you an opportunity to take those shots downfield, the guys like IU, that's when you hit them. But the interior of the field, that's where Brock Purdy lives. What about the quarterback on the other side? I mean, Dak Prescott, uh, he had probably the worst game of his career last week, or I guess now two weeks ago, and then responds right. with maybe the best game of his entire NFL career in the postseason. So do you think Dak now has this, this confidence to get it done against the best defense, frankly, in the National Football League this weekend? Dak looked good. Oh, I mean, man. we're looking at him run. Yeah. This is the best he, his legs have looked. This is the best that his ankle has looked since we've seen it when it was on backwards and he tried to pop it back into place. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is – 
this is an individual that has played at such a high level and now he's starting to have confidence in the guys around him. And I think what's really good is that Dak has stepped up in a way that allows this offense to be more versatile. Because when the pass game isn't there, he can use his legs. When he doesn't want to use his legs, he can use the legs of the running backs. You have guys like Tony Pollard. And then, of course, Ezekiel Elliott, who's still trying to prove that he has a lot left in the tank. But the other side of the ball is what makes this team special. I mean, you have guys like Michael Parsons, who was an absolute beast when it comes to making quarterbacks uncomfortable in the pocket. So, yeah, Dak Prescott, this is this is where we get to see who he really is. Because if he shows up and he doesn't play as well, then here we are. Ah, Dak Prescott, he's been great in moments, but then in other moments he hasn't. But if he plays well again, this is the guy that Jerry Jones paid. This is going to be one of the best quarterbacks moving into next season. I think he could, he could put himself in that elite conversation. Where we're talking about Dak Prescott as a top three quarterback. Now he's in the top ten. He can make himself a top three guy if he wins this game in grand fashion. I mean, Trevor Lawrence kind of has a similar opportunity. He played the second half of a game that was absolutely mm -hmm. incredible. Second First half, half let's yeah. just not think about that one. But he has the opportunity as well to come in and, and kind of prove which Trevor Lawrence we're going to see. But I don't know if he gave bulletin board material a little bit to the Chiefs by saying, oh, Arrowhead's not going to be much louder than what we mm -hmm. face. So are we going to see the real Trevor Lawrence and which Trevor Lawrence is that? First of all, Trevor, you wildin'. <laughs> crazy. I played there when I was in the league, and even going back as now an analyst and TV host, it gets loud. And this time of year, it's that crisp, cold. I mean, this isn't in Jacksonville, Florida, baby. You better bundle up. Um, but this is this is a team that's playing with house money. Like they've already had a good season. But if you let them tell you, they want to win a Super Bowl. So everybody else is celebrating this. You know, good for you, Jax. How about Trevor Lawrence, man? All the sunshine jokes and the long hair, that's past. Now we're talking about Trevor Lawrence having a great future next season. Trevor's like, wait, wait, forget about next season. Let's talk about this postseason because we proved that we can beat some of the better teams. And who cares about our record? Who cares about what happened in the regular season? It's all about win and stay in. And right now we're in. So they're in a good position. The pressure isn't on the Jacks. The pressure is on KC. And you know what I love about this Jacksonville team is that all the people that they invested in, Guys that they went out and got, guys that they brought in, whether it's their running back, guys like, you know, Marvin Jones, uh, Christian Kirk, who they paid big this offseason. I mean, you have guys that are all stepping up. This is like this is like a GM's dream, an owner's dream. Every guy that you pay is stepping up for you big in the big moments. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Jags, go out there and let it fly. Who cares? Yeah. Play your best game and see what happens. So you said the Jags playing with house money a little bit. I don't know if the Giants are playing with house money, but they're certainly, they have the momentum coming off of just mm. an unbelievable offensive performance against the Minnesota Vikings. And I think maybe it's time we give Danny Dimes his flowers <laughs> a little bit. He was able to run the ball 78 yards, ran for seven first downs. The only problem is now he's going up against another quarterback on the other side that knows how to run the ball too. And they got probably a leg up in almost every facet of the game. So what are you expecting from Giants-Eagles this weekend? Living in the New Jersey area and working in New York, these Giants fans are feeling themselves. <laughs> you know what? Good for them. It's been a while. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's been a long time since Eli and the boys brought a ring back. Um, but, you know, they have proved that they are one of the best teams in the playoffs. And I have to give Danny Dimes credit. You know, not only has he kind of slammed the door in the conversation, can he be the Giants quarterback moving forward? I think he he, he now has, has earned the right to be stamped the Giants QB. But he's done it with 
out guys that were supposed to be his number one targets. Kenny Galladay, he had a little bit of up and down with the new staff that came in. He was banged up. Now he's playing a little bit more. So he wasn't really there during the regular season. Sterling Shepard got hurt. Kadarius Tony got traded. And now he's playing with guys that you didn't necessarily think were going to be in the starting lineup up until this point. Of course, Saquon is still Saquon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is another team. I, I wouldn't want to say that they're playing with house money because the Giants, with Dayball leading them um, in, all season long, their head coach, and he should be in consideration for Coach of the Year. I think he's made these guys believe, regardless of what happened on a weekly basis, that they are a damn good team. Now they're facing the Eagles, who have been a damn good team all year. The question is, one, will Lane Johnson be healthy enough to protect Jalen Hurts' backside because he's one of the best offensive linemen in the business? And two, if they do get to Jalen Hurts, is he going to be good enough to pick himself up off the ground and play well for the next few quarters? Or is it one of those things that he's still slightly banged up that if he gets hit, if he gets rocked, or if he leaves the pocket and takes a shot while he's trying to go out of bounds or fight for a first down, does his percentage decrease? I, I look at injuries like a battery lock. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? The beginning of the season, you're fully charged, 100%. Yeah. And as the season goes on, you're never really back at 100%. Occasionally, you can find a quick charge, but usually you're just you're idling. You know what I'm saying? Somewhere around 80 to 95. Now, if his injury is a real injury, he'll get banged up, and that might take him down to 60. And if you got him functioning at 60%, he can't move, he can't be as agile in the pocket, the Giants defense will have a strong advantage. We got me even more fired up. I don't know about Elish, but I'm ready to go for this weekend. Nate, thank you so much for doing this. Enjoy what should be a great weekend of football, and we'll catch up again next week. No doubt. I'll talk to you next week. After the break, a fascinating new documentary about former Leafs owner Harold Ballard. It's the air Sunday on CBC. I recently caught up with the director of that doc, Jason Priestley, and executive producer, Michael Geddes, and we will play you that conversation next on Timmy Friends. Gotta win. That's the only. That's the only thing I know. The Toronto Maple Leafs won in 1967, but since then, it's been no show for Harold and his boys. I have to sit through an entire winter of this garbage with the Maple Leafs. This team is never going to get any better. He didn't play by the rules. You crossed him. You paid the price. Make sure that fat guy upstairs. Harold Ballard existed in 2022. He would have been canceled. Why don't you like Harold Ballard? Oh, because of what he had to say about women. You want to get offended at that? It's stupid. All he cared about was having people in the seats and making money. Harold needs me. When I first signed my first contract, Harold was in jail at that time. A lot of people think uh, you're the problem here. Get out of here. This was him. You're unrepentant, totally unrepentant. Absolutely. How good does that look? The 1970s and 80s were an especially tumultuous time to be a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. And a lot of that can be traced back to one man specifically, and that is Harold Ballard. My next two guests embarked on a journey to tell a more complete picture of the late Leafs owner in Offside, the Harold Ballard story. My first guest, you've probably seen a fair bit of his work, Call Me Fitz, Private Eyes, a little show called Beverly Hills 90210, incredibly talented actor, director, and director, producer, and narrator of this movie, and member of Canada's Walk of Fame. Please welcome Jason Priestley. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. 
And the president and CEO of Lone Eagle Entertainment, winner of multiple Canadian Screen Awards and the executive producer of the film we'll be talking about today, Michael Geddes. Welcome to Tim and Friends today. Uh, so I grew up in Toronto, um, 34 years old. I knew about Harold Ballard. I knew about the Harold Ballard curse. But I didn't know anything else about Harold Ballard. And this documentary opened my eyes to that. What was the genesis of coming together to make this project? Yeah, I think, first of all, that's exactly what we want, is to fill in some blanks for somebody like yourself that heard about Ballard, mm -hmm. heard about the curse, always a playoff time, and now you can, you can kind of understand it. Uh, but if you look at Harold Ballard back in the 70s when he took ownership of the team, and he ran it for the last 20 years of his life, there was nobody in this country, I argue, that was more controversial, a bigger character, that ran against the grain mm -hmm. in what was back then a very conservative Canada, certainly a different Toronto than it is today. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he, he can inform us, you know, what it used to be like back then, but teams are not run like that, as we all know anymore. Not and even close, yeah. The takeaway just from that element alone is, is fascinating. I mean, this was, this was a uh, impulsive owner with, a, with, a, with a, no plan. And now today, you just can't run a, a big league sports franchise that way. No question about it. It just seemed like when I'm watching it, you know, you have all this archival footage. And that's one of the things that, that really struck me about the documentary. It's you guys really dove deep into the research and uncover just who Harold Ballard was, the person. What was that process like of uncovering all of that stuff? Well, it was uh, it was difficult and it was mm -hmm. arduous. You know, we had uh, we had archivists working around the clock for months trying to uncover all this stuff, um, but we were able to find quite a bit of uh, material and hopefully uh, a bunch of new material that people have never seen before. Um, and and there were a lot of stories that came out of the interviews that we were uh, conducting with people. Um, and they, you know, they would say something, and then we like make notes yeah. and send the archivists out to go to try and try to find something to back up that story. And um, and we were able to find a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that way too, which was uh, which was really interesting and exciting for us. I know you conducted all of the interviews, and there's so many iconic players in there: Daryl Sittler, Landon McDonald, Wendell Clark. A lot of guys. I'm sure you will, you grew up watching play hockey, right? Yeah, You're a big hockey fan. Yeah. Uh, what was that like sitting down with those guys? having well, those conversations. Well, it was, I mean, it was super fun for me, the hockey fan. Yeah. Um, but as a, uh, you know, as the documentary filmmaker, I was just so impressed with how uh, open and honest all of the guys were mm -hmm. with me when talking about their remembrances of Harold and, and talking about their, their frustrations and, and the anger that they felt and that they still feel uh, a lot of them about the way they were treated and about the about the, the the anger they feel about the chaos within the within the franchise at the uh, you know at the time when they when they were there mm -hmm. or the support that they didn't feel and you know the fact that you know when Rick Five talks about you know you know when he's you know his third 50 goal season in a row and you know Ballard gave him a tea set you know <laughs> It was like, you know, like things like and things like that are just so ridiculous. And then, you know, and, and Rick Vibe still talks about the frustration he felt, 
you know, when he when he was saying, you know, as a professional hockey player, you're supposed to you're supposed to be learning, and people are supposed to be teaching you things, new things all the time. He said, we never learned anything. Yeah. There was no one there. He didn't pay for good coaches or anyone to teach us anything. We were like, you know, we were on our own most of the time. <laughs> and he's still like super angry about it and frustrated by it. And, and like you could feel it. And it was it was just really refreshing. And I'm sure you see this all mm -hmm. the time. Like like modern day hockey players speaking these, you know, super scripted cliches, sound bites and cliches sure. all for the sure. time. So it was really refreshing to see these guys be totally honest and frank and and open about the way that they that they feel. I mean, that's such a good point that you make because in listening to the, some of the conversations, it wasn't just that everybody hated Ballard. And that's something that I found really interesting. There were some guys that had fond memories of him. Obviously, he, there was the, the friendship that he had with, with King Clancy and you guys uncover that in all the archival footage. But some of the players that you were able to sit down and talk, they, they had fond memories of Harold Ballard. Tiger Williams loved the guy. Right. Like, it's almost like Ballard was like a second father mm -hmm. to Tiger Williams, which is fascinating. But Wendell Clark loved him. You know, there were a lot of guys who loved him. Landy McDonald, uh, you know, even even though, uh, you know, when Ballard traded McDonald, Landy away, you know, to get back at Daryl Sittler, which, which was a super vindictive, horrible thing to do, you know, Landy couldn't, doesn't really have a lot of bad things to say about Ballard, because he was part, you know, Ballard donated so much money mm -hmm. to to the to the charity yes. that Lanny McDonald was 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 the front man for at the time, you know, and and so he so he saw another side of Ballard that nobody else got to see right. because of all these, you know, these charitable donations that Ballard would make, um, and so he he was he even had a hard time saying anything bad about him. More than one side to the man. Yeah, uh, I, I just. I, I'm watching the documentary. I'm like, how? You mentioned how ownership is different nowadays, Michael. How do you think he was able to hold on to power for so long? Because he did from, I believe, '72 until his passing in, in 1990, right? How did he do it? I mean, the NHL back then was a much different league than it is today. Uh, competition entered the league with mm -hmm. the WHA. Um, the NHL was scrambling at that time. I mean, they were losing players. Ballard let the players go because he wouldn't pay them, but they were losing players to a rival league. Yeah. So I think they, they, owners were hanging on for dear life, and, and I don't think a lot of them were hockey people back then. Mm -hmm. um, Ballard, you know, it was well known, he really wasn't a hockey person. So we saw how that kind of got itself down the road. He didn't pay the players. He was all about putting bums in seats. The interesting thing is he always had bumps and seats. He really didn't have to think that hard about it because it was Toronto. Yeah. So when you have that latitude to operate uh, knowing bums are in seats, you can. he, he would brush outside those lines all the time. Yeah. He didn't have to stay within the lines and have a business plan and run the team with a future thinking in mind. It was, it was impulsive, as Jason said earlier, and what the, the, the carnage that came from those impulsive decisions, he really didn't seem to care about because going back to it, bums were always in seats. And of course, the television market got more complex right. at that time. Remember, the league in the 60s, Hockey Night in Canada didn't come on until the start of the second period. Mm -hmm. And then in the 70s, I guess the light bulb went off and said, oh, there's probably a few people who'd like to see the first period. <laughs> so right. they started broadcasting <laughs> the games uh, in its entirety and it opened up a whole new level of marketing and Ballard, he identified that. He was a showman. He, he knew how to make a buck. And to his credit, 
but running the team, mm -hmm. having, a, having their best interests in mind, uh, was always secondary to him being up front and center. Also, Maple Leaf Gardens Limited was a publicly traded company mm -hmm. on the TSX. He owned the majority of the shares. He owned up to 70% of the shares. So he had control of the yeah. team, and he was the guy who ran the team yeah. because he owned the majority of the shares. And, and, and there's, there was tons of stories that we heard about uh, they would have an, an AGM every year, and you know the other shareholders would come to the AGM, and of course Ballard had to run the yeah, run run the AGM because he was the president and the chairman, and he would run the AGM. And if anybody stood up and and complained about the way he was running the team, he would offer to buy their. He would say, "You don't like the way I'm running the team? How many shares do you own? Yeah. I'll buy them from <laughs> you right now." And, yeah. that, and that's how that's how he kept control of the team. Mm -hmm. That was it. He was a bully, you know? It's just, it's a fascinating story that uh, I'm so happy you guys told it because it really did need to be told. I, I didn't know much about Harold Peller going in and having seen the documentary, I commend you guys on just a fantastic job. Uh, wish you all the best. I know the premiere is coming up Sunday on CBC and CBC Gem at 8 p.m. So thanks again for coming in to chat a little bit. Thanks, it was buddy. a pleasure right and on. good luck. Continue success with Cheers. the documentary. Thank Cheers. you. All right, great stuff, Jesse. Can't wait to watch on Sunday when that debuts. And after the break, uh, more Hockey Talk as we visit with Dan Murphy in Vancouver. Plus, we catch up with Ron McLean from Hockey Day in Canada and Owen Sound as he limbers up for the Celebrity and Alumni Game tonight. Tim and Friends with Jesse and Ailish continues next. I heard Ken's coming too. Uh-oh. Now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. No Tim McAuliffe today. Justin Rubinoff and Ailish Forfar here with you for the final half hour of the week, which is both happy and sad. I think everybody enjoys the weekend, but we enjoy our uh, jobs here. Uh, Ailish. <laughs> Uh, of fan morning show fame, of course, and in arena host of the Toronto Maple Leafs and everyone's favorite iPad sound button masher. Don't ask me about that again. I won't. Wow, I will that ask wasn't you. even the one I meant to click, but it I worked. will ask you how many coffees have you had today? Because we know you were at the Leaf game last night. And ah, you did that's the number show five. This morning. No, it's not. Seriously? Yeah. Five? Are you joking? I had. Three this morning. No, you got to check with a cardiologist on that. I know. I had three this morning, one this afternoon, and you gave me this, so you're know, part I'm of a, it. I'm not a doctor, but if like, something happens to me, I would not have given you that latte had I known that was number five. Well, that hey, is. I live on the edge, Jesse. Very concerning behavior <laughs> from Ailish. All right, uh, Ron McLean will join us from Owen Sound in just minutes. Ken Reed as well. Plus, we give you some more of our props picks for the NFL weekend. But first, to the night on the ice. Starting with the Vancouver Canucks, who are back at it as they host the Colorado Avalanche. You can see it regionally on Sportsnet Pacific. Of course, all eyes in Vancouver on Bruce Boudreaux with it seemingly obvious he is on his way out. Maybe as soon as this weekend. With more on that, let's send it over to Dan Murphy in Vancouver. Murph? Jesse, you would have to think the bye week cannot come soon enough for the Vancouver Canucks. They're getting set for back-to-back -back games against Colorado and Edmonton. That's not easy. They have dropped eight of their past 10 games, all eight of those losses coming in regulation. As for the captain, Bo Horvat, the questions have moved from if he's going to be traded to where he's going to be traded to. And Bruce Boudreaux wasn't on the ice for morning skate Friday. We're at the point where that's a story, which leads to all sorts of speculation. 
I mean, I'd be a fool not to say that I don't know what's going on, but uh, um, I just, like I said before, you come to work and uh, uh, you realize, you know, how great the game is. No. It's, it's on the road, it's easier perhaps to shut out the noise. What do you tell the guys in terms of shutting out the noise at home? How much more of a challenge is that? Well, I didn't say anything today. I mean, uh, um, but I mean, there might be things said tomorrow. You know, I mean, they know. I mean, you know, it's a, there's a lot of media here. I mean, it's, it's uh, I mean, I've got my wife phoning me saying, you're not on the ice. Is everything okay? Like, I mean, so you guys are getting it out all over the, the country. So it's, 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 uh, it's tough not to, to, to feel it. But I mean, you just look at it. You love it. You want to go do it. And so, I mean, that's, uh, that's the way I shut it out and uh, is basically just, you know, just realizing how much you care about the game and the players and what goes on. What'd you tell your wife? I said, I'm still here. <laughs> I just, I don't go on the ice all the time, you know? Like, just, wow. Bruce, is that what you, is that you get a little emotional just now? What does it mean to you to be head coach in this league? I'll talk later. <laughs> You have to feel for Boudreau because it's clear that coaching in the National Hockey League isn't just his job, it's his passion. And it sure seems like he feels his days in Vancouver are numbered. As for his players, they haven't been good enough this year. But the one thing you can say is they have not quit on Boudreau. This is a group that always plays to the final buzzer. The problem is they always seem to come up just a little bit short. Jesse. Thanks, Murph. What a disaster, oh, frankly. It's so hard to watch. Just, just a mess in Vancouver at the moment. Uh, the only other NHL game tonight sees the Sens visit the Penguins. Matthew Joseph will return to the lineup after being scratched in Wednesday's overtime win over those same Pens. Sends eight points behind the Penguins, who hold down the second wild card at the moment. The Penguins activating Jeff Petrie and Tristan Jari from injured reserve today. Tomorrow, it's Hockey Day in Canada as we celebrate this game in this country. It's always an amazing day of storytelling from Ron McLean and company around the action on the ice, which includes all seven Canadian teams. It all starts at 11 a.m. Eastern with the Dream Gap Tour game, and then it's Lightning and the Flames in the afternoon, Leafs and the Habs at 7 Eastern, and Jets and Sens at the same time with the Oilers and the Canucks finishing the night. And live from Owen Sound, it's time to introduce two men who, quite frankly, need uh, no introduction from <laughs> Hockey Day in Canada, uh, Ron McLean. Ron doesn't. Ken Reed. <laughs> Ken Reed. Ron McLean. I understand there's a, a, an alumni game going tonight uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Ron, my question is for you. How did you end up with Ken on your team? <laughs> Well, you know how Ailish had five cups of coffee? I'm here with Teapot of Pictou County, Nova Scotia. Very good. He can maybe explain that. Yeah, 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 everybody knows Teapot. He's the hometown legend where I'm from, and, and we get to play with some hometown legends here in Owen Sound tonight. So beauty thing about Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada is we get to meet local legends who maybe we didn't hear about. So, Ken, just to end, uh, obviously, Jesse and Ailish, to tell you how small the hockey world is, you obviously, Ailish, have connections to Scotiabank. Uh, your loved one works for them. Uh, we had Leslie as kind of the uh, woman in charge of all the Scotiabank activities up here at Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada. She spoke at the banquet last night about how her son played with a guy named Colby Barlow, who happens to be the captain mm -hmm. of the Owen Sound attack. And then they moved out to North Vancouver, and he played with Connor Bedard. So, I mean, that's a dream uh, yeah. existence in minor hockey for Leslie's Tate. Uh, and we just see it here everywhere, uh, wide-eyed children looking up to the attack and uh, many of the alumni here. 
All right, I need to know the scouting report on you two. Uh, I don't know which position, which mm. way you even shoot, but uh, who's the grinder out there? Kind of looks like that guy's wearing the bucket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, but you need a clue. If grinder means he's very weak to the left side, yeah, that's a, Ron's got wheels, Ailish. I tell you, oh, yeah. Ron McLean can skate. Uh, the 4,000 people that are going to jam into the barn here tonight are going to see a guy with wheels. And maybe a little finish, too, around the net. That's no. the scouting report on Ron. That is the, that is the problem. No finish at all. Uh, I was a referee for uh, a lot of years, a level five for Hockey Canada, quarter century, and I skate like a level five referee, and Good I play edges. hockey like a level five referee. <laughs> <laughs> is there any action out there tomorrow? Because I'm going to come up, and I'm going to bring my skates, and I'd like to challenge somebody to something, maybe a race, Ron and I, maybe a puck skills competition, Ken. I, like I don't it. know. I like Am I missing it. the action if I come tomorrow? Well, if you're looking for puck skills, you want to take on somebody better than me. I can do pucks and deep skills. I did that the other night at Drill with Ivanka. But, yeah, there's there's lots going on. You, you come and do the sprint. I'll tell you, we were on the ice. Ken and Ivanka helped uh, attack with a clinic yesterday for the youngsters. And right away, there was a young woman went blasting by oh, all of us. she's good, yeah. Unbelievable. Her name is Mila Menard. And her dad, Chris, played in the National Hockey League. In fact, Chris, when he played for the Penguins, wore 39, the number that Barlow, the captain here, wears. I don't know if there's just a coincidence. They have a rule in Owen Sound. Nobody gets to wear a number higher than 40 because up till now, Barlow wore Bedard's 98. Anyway, this Mila Menard, keep yeah. your ear to the ground. Uh, she will be on the Olympic team. And, of course, we got the PWHPA. They'll be, they'll be seeing her and maybe they'll even in, get her on contract for tomorrow's big game. They should. <laughs> and Chris could be playing tonight, but he's out coaching uh, AAA under 13. Uh, Chris was big hit at the schools. Three kids go to the same school and uh, sweet hockey hair too. Like there's yes. some good mullets here in Owen Sound. I'm going to say <laughs> that they mullets. got some, some good hockey hair in this town. It's it's awesome everywhere you go. It's great hockey salad on Ken a lot of people Ken said here. last night to the attack uh, as they came up on stage, he says, you guys should have been in the WHL in 1990. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they look like Link Gates coming up there. They're great hair, great hair, great hockey hair town. <laughs> Kenny, uh, as, as I understand it, Ivanka is a coach on the other team tonight? No, so she's, it, playing. She's, she's playing. She's playing. What? Okay. She's uh, playing. Okay, yep. so is there, that's even better. Is there anything uh, on the line between the two of you tonight, the two co-hosts? No, because, Ron, our team's stacked. I mean, there's no chance we're going to lose this. We're stacked, and Darcy Tucker and I did the drafting, and all we looked for in the bio was birth date or the words recently retired, and we picked those guys <laughs> and girls. You know, Darcy Tucker was actually scouted on tape, and that was rare back in the yeah. day. Nobody ever saw him play. He played in Ndiang, Alberta. Uh, Castor was actually the bigger community nearby, so nobody saw him play in Castor. And then he got drafted out to Kamloops. Bob Brown was the GM of the Kamloops Blazers, or Oilers at the time, and had never seen him live, just saw him on TV. So that's why we have all the guys that are on TV on Darcy's TV. <laughs> there you go. So uh, as far as bets for Ivanka and I, uh, probably not because the soda pops have been free so far, so we're not going to put much on the <laughs> right. line, I don't Makes think. Makes sense. <laughs> What's the draft process like? Yeah. You've got two big captains. you got a room full of folks that want to get drafted. Is there uh, a little insider trading? How, who gets first pick? Like, What's the process to get these great teams together? Well, what's the draft process like? I was going to say humiliating because I wait for the final pick every year, and that's when I get picked. And Ivanka wasn't even on the board, and she got picked before I did. Wendell wouldn't take me. You are our Phil Kessel. Yeah. yeah. And he got to 1,000 games, so it's okay, Ken. Yeah, he could get well, here's how it went. Too. You find out we're having seniors moments all over the place to start with. Lanny couldn't – he didn't get here in time to draft his own team, so Wendell took the helm and then drafted himself yeah. first overall. So there's a little bit of corruption. And then after that, the two of them, Darcy and Wendell, took turns forgetting that this player had already been chosen yes, yes. so it, it went longer than we had planned mm -hmm. but it's a very enjoyable night uh, we had 
started at the county offices and uh, everybody, you can't believe the things we've been able to do here. We were at Boston Pizza for a shindig, at the Roxy for a music show, wow. a banquet here at the Rutherford at the rink last night. And I mean, I, I, I don't know if you're out of stories, Ken. We're almost out of stories because it's been just yeah. one nonstop conversation of uh, joy. I was allowed behind the tellers at the bank today. <laughs> I got to see the safe. I mean, well, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> The, the history of Owen Sound uh, hockey goes back to 1888. It was a guy named Vernon Barry. He was a banker, first bank that was set up in Owen Sound, and he got all his banker buddies to start playing hockey like way over a century ago. And then the next sort of thing that happened with hockey here is goaltenders. They had a chain. This is the Harry Lumley Arena, a great Stanley Cup winning Vesna Trophy Hall of Fame goaltender. And there's many others. Curtis Ant for the goalie coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Jordan Bennington played here. Kevin Weeks played here. It could go on for an hour about all the goalies. But the point of that is you got the bankers started it and the goalies took over. One you rob and the other robs you. <laughs> there you go. And and hasn't Les Binkley been such a oh big hit? Gosh. Les played Thank you. Yeah, back in the him. day. He didn't make the NHL. He was 33. He played played with Pittsburgh. He pulled me aside and gave me a few Eddie Shack stories. I mean, he's been such a hit. He was magic on 32 Thoughts. Magic. Yes. Amazing. Ron, you know, you're such a great storyteller. Is there is there one story that you're looking forward to telling as part of Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow? Well, I'll tell you, Elliot Friedman did a story for us on Arbor Jackeye that is beyond the pale. It's so great. And it's a 14-minute story. We're going to run eight of it. Uh, that, that and Anthony Stewart's homage to the great Herb Carnegie. They have the Carnegie Initiative meeting in Toronto as we speak. And uh, he was inducted, obviously, at the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, those are two that stand out. From a personal point of view, I had the chance to go over to the Billy Bishop Museum. You know who he is? He's a World War I flying ace down 72 enemy. He was flying a, a fighter plane, a biplane, 15 years after the Wright brothers invented uh, aviation, if they did. There's some debate. Maybe the silver dart was first, Ken. You could tell me. No, you tell me, Ron, because <laughs> okay. I would not But know. anyway, uh, this Billy Bishop, we went to the house he grew up in, and Diana, his granddaughter, toured us through it. And she is, uh, you know, Ayla, you'd look up to her. This is actually a woman's journey town. She was the yeah. first foreign correspondent for CTV News. Heather Hiscox on the helm of CBC News is from Owen Sound. Cheryl Hickey. Uh, there's a proud tradition of uh, strong female leads in uh, kind of the Barbara from Barbara Walters uh, mold. How do you know everything? It's unbelievable. You know, he knows everything. Uh, I want to get your, your guys' opinion on, oh, we just heard the sound from Bruce Boudreaux, obviously getting a little bit emotional about the situation in Vancouver. What do you guys make of, of that and how the Canucks seem to be handling the situation. I, I guess I'd just start by saying, uh, just came out of our room, and one of the guys in the room has a South Carolina Stingrays bag from his time in the East Coast Hockey League. Uh, Bruce played a little bit in the NHL, but he played in the minors throughout his career, and then he started low-level minor league hockey, worked his way up, uh, and I think a hockey lifer like Bruce Boudreaux just deserves to be treated with a lot more respect than he's currently mm -hmm. getting. I'll leave it at that. You know, Ken, the coach of uh, the attack here is Greg Walters, played for the Brantford Smoke in the United Hockey League, and Bruce started his career in that very same league down in Muskegon. Uh, so I used to referee Bruce, and, and I loved refereeing Greg Walters when he played for the Smoke with Mark uh, LaForest in goal. And, you know, it, for me, uh, you know, not to make this story a part of it, but I, I will. Uh, I've had three seminal moments in my life where I had the shivers or... Uh, just was overwhelmed by a sense of history. One was uh, standing on the crease where Paul Henderson scored in 72. We were over at Luzhniki Ice Palace in wow. Moscow. The, another was Cape Canaveral, launch pad 39A, standing there thinking about the lunar landing. And then the other was at the uh, Rogers Place in Edmonton. Last year, Tara Sloan and I were there for hometown hockey, and Luke Prokop was right in front of me. Uh, and he wore number six. He's a massive presence uh, and just, you know, a trailblazer with such courage. And 
I guess the best thing is, like Ken said about Bruce, I celebrate Luke Prokop. I don't get into all that, you know, judging the other. I, I just want to tout uh, Bruce's great hockey life and uh, think mm -hmm. about uh, Prokop as well. That, that really kind of hit me when I see what Bruce is going through and handling it with such grace under fire. Very well said. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for doing this. Enjoy Hockey Day in Canada tomorrow and tonight, obviously, the alumni game. Uh, I guess, Kenny, keep your head up. You never know. Yeah, I'll Look say out for well Ivanka. Too. We, should be hitting, we shouldn't be hitting each other, on. We're on the same team. That's pregame love. <laughs> I got a puck here. You know where it's going. It's going in deep. Let's go. Here we go, Ron. Quick start, buddy. Have Let's a great time. Got that, Anthony Stewart? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. They're going to have a blast. Oh, I can't wait I'm to go jealous. catch up with those guys yeah, tomorrow. I'm very jealous. I'll find them immediately. Unbelievable. Uh, Owen Sound, the town of bankers and mullets. And women journalists. Women journalists. Like, couldn't be a better place to, to go tomorrow, Saturday. It's, it's frankly unbelievable how much information is inside Ron's head. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I know. I feel that way all the time. <laughs> One last break. <laughs> One last break coming up here on Two and Friends. We're going to hear from Vlad Jr. and some interesting quotes today. And let's talk some days. Plus, we'll get to game time and try to pick some more winners, props from this weekend. I had a great weekend last week. No, uh, no bragging, but that's next. <laughs> You're going to be back. Yep. Welcome back. We've got a trade to tell you about, but it's in Major League Baseball, not the Toronto Raptors. <laughs> the Marlins have acquired first baseman Luis Arise from the Twins in exchange for starting pitcher Pablo Lopez and a pair of prospects. Arise was the American League batting champion last season with a 316 average. Meanwhile, the Blue Jays' winter tour continuing today. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., friend of myself, was among the players who appeared at a pep rally at a Toronto-area school. Vladdy said his camp has yet to begin negotiations on a long-term extension with the club, and he was asked about the departure of his two closest friends of the team, Teoscar Hernandez and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. It's part of the business, you know. I can control that. I mean, obviously, I mean, Teo and Lourdes, Great friends of mine, great players, uh, but it's it's what it is. And on the other hand, I just welcome the guys that are they're new, are new are new guys and uh, try to make uh, make them feel good. I'll say it's going to be different, a lot different. I think the speed wise, we're going to be faster. Uh, defense, I mean, uh, homers. Uh, it's going to be I think more a complete team. A more complete team. They have certainly added some left-handed. Hitters. Yes, they have. <laughs> and uh, some people in the outfield. They have, yes, <laughs> and uh, pitchers as well. And, and as part of the winter tour, uh, some of the new Blue Jays were joining their teammates in participating in an OK Blue Jays can dance. You do that? Yeah, of course I can. I'm not going to do it now, but like, <laughs> clearly the new Aww. guys, yeah, they're doing well there. It's tough. And then it kind of goes sideways. Rough. I think that's Kiermaier that really goes sideways. Oh, yeah, Bassett just stopped. Bassett said that's enough. I don't. I don't know. It's just kind of mean that they, they you know, the teammates got to look out for these guys, right? You got to. You've been around them a couple of days already, or with Ailish last night. Why don't you teach them the Let's Go? Like that's I know. You, I, I was busy teaching them the. You the, just said your friends. The Rocks Classic. Let's go, Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> the Rock didn't get the memo. Eh? You didn't tell him that either. Man, that was tough that's when that happened live in you. front of me. I was like, we can't stop The Rock oh, right now. So he's good. just going to say what he's going to say. But. You, you got to feel, I mean, when there's little kids in the stands that, that are in the audience there that know the dance and you don't and you're a member of the team, it's got to be a tough feeling. The most important thing I wish I asked though. them was about Looney Dogs. Yeah. Because you know. Yeah. 
that I am the queen of Looney Dogs. Yes, you and are. And I have been patiently waiting. And did you know, I think the Blue Jays' uh, home opener is on a Tuesday. You already, you already know? Yeah, it is. Yeah, confirm. And what's on Tuesdays? Well, do you know that? If no, I'm hoping that somebody listening can well, confirm that for me. With the renovations and stuff, like that might be. They a thing should in not the past. make it. If it goes from Looney to Toonie Dogs, I'm out. Well, I, I mean, know we got to recoup it, the money somehow. No, it's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, it's 2023 in this economy. Okay, here's what's on tap on the network today. <laughs> Hockey Central. In a few minutes. Unhinged. No, that's, I mean, very apropos. So mm. good work on good, Good job by you. <laughs> 7.30 Eastern, the Heat and Mavs on Sportsnet and Sportsnet 1 with the Grizzlies and Lakers later on. Sportsnet 1 as well. Smackdown on Sportsnet 360 with the Canucks hosting the Avs later regionally on Sportsnet Pacific. What does it mean? Uh, not, not only um, <laughs> do you just hit the soundboard whenever you want, but I feel like you hit it with such ferocity that like, they're, they're louder. Gentle. It's louder like, when you hit it, too. Because I don't want to mess up, and I have a few right. times. There's some One buttons you don't want to press. The iPad's <laughs> going to go flying off the table. Uh, all right, let's begin game time with a chance to make a little money. Last week, our player props bets for wildcard weekend went a whopping 5 and one so Ooh. we thought, why not try it again? Once again, we dug deep into the Bet River Sportsbook and came up with one player prop we liked from each game of the NFL's divisional round. Without further ado, here's Anthony Caminiti. Here it is. Show me the money. Woo, baby, that's right. Five and one in our wildcard props last week, and we're back to see if we can keep the good times rolling. But listen, just because we did well last week doesn't mean we're gonna clean up again this week. So as always, please be responsible and stay within your means. All right, let's get into it. Starting in Kansas City, we got real creative here. We're taking Travis Kelsey over 80 and a half receiving yards, coming off another outrageously good season. Kelsey is facing a Jacksonville team that was the worst at defending tight ends this season. On top of that, Kelsey is of course, a go-to guy for Patrick Mahomes, especially in the playoffs. Kelsey has 95 yards or more in each of his last six postseason games. Let's go. Over to Philadelphia, we're going with Jalen Hurts over one and a half passing touchdowns. Hurts is coming off the bye week, which means hopefully that throwing shoulder is all healed up. And he's at home where he absolutely cooks. Hertz has gone over this line in five of his last six home games, and the one game he didn't was week 18. Plus, is there a little extra motivation here? Brian Dayball was Alabama's offensive coordinator when Hertz was benched for Tua Tungvaluwa in the 2017-18 National Championship game. Just saying. Oh, also, if you want to have a little fun, you can sprinkle a teeny-weeny bit on Boston Scott anytime touchdown. The man absolutely destroys the G-men for some reason, scoring 10 touchdowns in his last eight games against them. Just think about it. Next up, we head to Buffalo where they host the Bengals. We took Jamar Chase's over receptions last week, and this week we're going back to the well, but this time we're hoping he finds the end zone. We're taking Chase's anytime touchdown at plus 108. Chase has a TD in eight of his last 13 games and two of his last three playoff games, plus with an over-under at 49 and a half, there's plenty of points to go around, so hopefully Chase gets a little piece of that. And finally, we hit the West Coast for Cowboys Niners. We're going under George Kittle's 46 and a half receiving yards. He's under this number in five of Brock Purdy's seven games, and Dallas has given up the fifth 
fewest receiving yards to tight ends this season. And on top of that, Kittle has gone over this line just once in his seven career playoff games. With the full allotment of weapons available for the Niners, Kittle likely finds himself low on the pecking order for targets, so I'm not expecting a big day from Big George. Good luck out there this weekend, and remember, please gamble responsibly. Anything you like from there? Um, yeah, Boston Scott, anytime yeah. touchdown. As a, as a Boston Miles Scott Sanders is not occupying a space in my mind. Okay, but. so why don't, why don't you give us uh, one of your... Okay, well, last weekend I had a very successful betting weekend, which I boasted about online, um, but don't worry about it. This week, I'm just going with something that was a gut pick right away. And it's uh, Debo. I think the Niners are going to be in their bag, but a lot of focus on McCaffrey and Kittle. And that's fine because he's going to be open in the end zone. And I like him for just an anytime touchdown. I think it's only like plus, I don't know, plus 120. That's plus that's one, fine. Yeah. But, you know, I, I just, uh, it's a gut pick. No, I'll ride with Look that. Look at Debo go. I know. I'll ride with that. They're he's a so threat good. on the ground. He's a There's... threat in the air. I was I was so disrespectful to Brock Purdy when we spoke to Nate Burleson saying, you know, some people are calling him a game manager. He's, he hasn't been anything close to a game manager. And game manager is just so disrespectful for no reason. Like, why was that term ever invented? He's if you're a good quarterback, you're a good quarterback, right? It's going to prove you wrong. I had a pleasure doing this with you. This was a blast. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, I had so much fun. Uh, that does it for us, though, sadly. Uh, Hockey Central is next. Tim <laughs> will be back here on with me on Monday as oh. we leave you... Uh, Let's take a look back at the week that was on Tim and Friends because you know what we do on the show when there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then finally at the end of the week we make our way into Friday. So it's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday. It's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? It's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? It's Friday again, it's What's on tap, Stubby Clap? So don't sweat the technique, Ali Hajishik. So let's make it hotter, Glenn Michibata. Rumors, innuendo, and more coming up. Balls, furry balls. I will take nuts any day. Candy nuts. Rubinoff McAuliffe with some afternoon delight. Sky rockets in flight. Afternoon delight. It is Monday Night Raw. That's officially how you say WWE things. That voice. For more on tonight's game, Ryan Leslie, who is standing by live at Bridgestone Arena. What's the latest, Ryan? Oh, you know, brother. (laughs) Speaking of smoke or fire, this from the Bills-Dolphins game on Sunday. Mike McDaniel. Kipper, is he vaping on the sidelines of a National Football League game? You know what? Uh, Right now, I got to be honest with you, the video is inconclusive. Maybe there was a little something-something in whatever the hell he was putting in his mouth. Um, some, uh, some... No? Uh, issues within the huddle of communication. Because I got high, because I got high, because I got high. Oh, he's baked. <laughs> Tim, I just have to make a, a comment. I, I like the dynamic that you and Jesse have going on. It looks like you're going to smuggle some rum through Chicago. Jesse looks like he's going to a Tiesto concert. <laughs> let's get down, let's get down to business. Give you one more night, one more night, Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Yeah!